Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We have arrived now at almost the end of this final quarter of the year, lesson this is 12. True. Uh, and we're talking basically, as we had mentioned before, the counterpart to last week's study, where it was Deuteronomy in the later writings, the which Old would Testament. be the Old Testament. And now yes. we're looking at Deuteronomy in the New Testament. That's correct. So there is. I don't want to give too much away, but in our little pre-study session, yes. there is a ton that could be covered in this week's, and so I want to dive right into it, but not before we start with a word of prayer. So, Pastor Howard, mm-hmm. can you lead us in prayer? Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the testimony of your word and the privilege we have to study it and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth to lead us into truth. We ask now for the Spirit's guidance and also, Lord, that he would bless each one of our teachers and the classes as they communicate the truths in this lesson. Uh, to the furtherance of the glory of your name and the upbuilding of your kingdom. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Pastor Howard, oh, looking mercy, at this mercy. lesson, did you this find one a... or two? What, what did you find this week? <laughs> okay, well, as you mentioned, this week's lesson is actually Deuteronomy in the New Testament, where New Testament authors quote from the book of Deuteronomy, obviously not an exhaustive list, sure. uh, just a few samples from the New Testament, but because it is, you know, uh, for example... Uh, Sunday's lesson is on the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Now, I don't know about you, but I think many pastors have probably done at some point a sermon series. You have at least three because you have three temptations. (laughs) And I preached, I know I've done a four-part series on this, just on Sunday's lesson. Mm -hmm. A full-length sermon. There's not the interaction and stuff. So every day is dealing with a different lesson, if you will, you could take your whole study time on any one of the lessons in this week. Right. Uh, this so it's not, lesson. so the lesson isn't just a generic reference to things that have been covered, but I mean, each one is its own individual place where Deuteronomy is quoted, but in such an important way. Anyway, I don't want to get yes. too much into it. There's just so much depth here. So there's really actually, mind. there's just more, even in the talking points that we're, we're going to try to cover. I've drawn out three points. I was going to draw out four points. And then I said, uh, you know, the, the reality is for our teachers, you may just pick one or two of these exactly. stories that you highlight just because of the depth of it, depending how far you want to go into and it. And I think the talking points you have picked out, knowing what they are, yes. are very good. But I think people can pick out a whole nother set of talking yes. points and still Easily. be safely inside of this lesson. And they still have plenty to talk about. That's right. Like, for example, Monday's lesson was on lifting up faces and the idea of God not being a respecter of persons. Mm -hmm. We've already looked at that in our quarterly, and now it's talking about New Testament applications of it. But because we've touched on that before, that's one that I did not choose to make a talking point out of just for instance. So the talking points that I have drawn out of this week's lesson, let me say this to begin with. Um, I reiterated, and I would reiterate in the class uh, you know, Sabbath afternoon's lesson goes into the idea, obviously Deuteronomy being quoted in the New Testament. But the reality is that the New Testament is built upon the foundation of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Christians who call themselves New Testament Christians who haven't even ventured to read the Old Testament, not realizing that the New Testament authors all built their arguments mm-hmm. on the Old Testament scriptures. And I always like to refer to the... Uh, the, the, in Revelation, where you have the church depicted, you have a woman clothed in the sun and standing on the moon. And a lot of people don't understand that the moon represents the, the, the new moons and the shadows and the types. 
and everything of the old, the foundations of the Old Testament, and the mm. sun represents the light of the New Testament. And what you're seeing in Revelation 12 is the church in that transition between old and new. But I'm looking at that foundation. You're standing on. What does mm. the church stand on? The foundation of what came. Like you don't get rid of the Old Testament scriptures, and so this just emphasizes that fact as we're seeing the New Testament. Well, Christ himself quoting. said, these are they that testify of Absolutely. me. So the church has one foundation, right, which is that the word of God, which all is a revelation of Christ. That's right. Anyway. So anyway, um, in fact, in a Friday's lesson, I should probably, be, in fact, why don't you read that from the Sabbath afternoon intro notes, which I don't usually have something, but Friday's lesson had a great observation by the author. Okay. One can learn a great deal about how to interpret the Bible by how the inspired writers of the New Testament use the old. And one of the first lessons we could learn is that the New Testament writers never raised any question about the authenticity or authority of the Old Testament books. Just think that was a good point. That's a really good point, yeah. Yes. So, and he, I have an ellipsis there. He actually talked about the modern, you know, modern scholars tend to do that. Mm -hmm. But you won't see the New Testament writers. Yeah, they just took it right at face value. So, we're going to do the same as we dive into this week's lesson. Um, So, did we have prayer? For we the did lesson have itself, I did, did. I did that. But we, Cameron and I typically pray before we start, and then we pray in the... <laughs> and so it's like, did we pray in the lesson? Anyway, uh, let's look at our talking points for this week. Number one, this is drawn from Tuesday's lesson, Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from Wednesday's lesson, I've drawn talking point number two, Christ is the mediator between God and man. And finally... Point number three, drawn from Thursday's lesson, God does not have a backup plan to save humanity. Okay. Now, I noticed that in these, we don't have an exhaustive covering of everything every day of the week. You just basically pick three of these topics and let's go with these. That's right. And that's totally legit. It's just what it is. Yes. Because you don't, one doesn't be, and already, I have to tell you again. Now, so Pastor Cameron and I, before we do a talking points, we review the lesson together and his comment just before we did this is, I don't know if we're going to get this done in 30 minutes. Like, how in the world are we going yeah. to? And then we've already done other things up front. But the point is, in your Sabbath school class, we're just telling you, it's fine if you don't have time to cover. Just pick a, one or two of the lessons if you need to do that. Mm-hmm. And just tell the folks, look, there's a lot of great stuff in the quarterly. If you haven't read it yet this week, go home and study it today, you know, Sabbath afternoon, whatever you yeah. need to do. Uh, your job as a teacher is not to cover everything. Now, we've already taken too much time doing that. Let's look at this first talking point. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law. Now, that's worded this way specifically for a reason, Cameron. If you'll go to Galatians 3. Okay. Now, Galatians 3 is where Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 27, 26 and Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. So let's look at his application, and this is where our talking Galatians point comes from. Galatians 3, what are we looking at? Verses 10 to 14. 10 to 14 says, For as many as of our... For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith. They live by them. Live by him, sorry, live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. 
This is one of those Pauline sentences. It's hard to. It's, it's not only hard. There's so much packed into this. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're we're just touching. So there's a couple things we're going to touch on. First of all, just the whole general gist of the passage is that a man man can't be saved by his obedience. Mm. Uh, Christ came to redeem us from the curse of the law has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham is justification by faith. That which man could not have prior, he couldn't be justified before God any other way, mm-hmm. we can be justified because Christ has redeemed humanity by taking the curse, the penalty of transgression of our sin, to Calvary's cross and dying for our sin that we might have his righteousness. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the first... Uh, uh, and, you know, we could take the whole lesson talking about that. Uh, another way of saying what Paul says here is in Second Corinthians 5.21. You, read, mm-hmm. you want to read that for us? It says, For he, that is God, made him who knew no sin, which is Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the idea, he made Jesus to be sin. It's, it's, it's a fascinating If it weren't in Scripture, language. it'd feel uncomfortable to say, right? <laughs> but, but the idea of the hanging on a tree that Paul's referring to, and going back to Deuteronomy, and we find incidents like, uh, you remember Baal Peor. In fact, we studied that in a recent lesson. Mm-hmm. And the offenders at Baal Peor were executed, and, and then put on after display, their execution, right. their bodies were hung up in the sun, the Lord said. They were put on a public display to show how offensive the crime was. And that was mm-hmm. something that was part of that economy. Uh, that society. And so... So the uh, crucifixion process was not only physically painful, but it was spiritually significant because they're hanging... This is... It, it's a way of demonstrating... Well, it was a public... It was intended, public, exactly. even by the Romans, to be a public demonstration, but much more by God. And so Paul's tying that in here, that this mm-hmm. was not done secretly. Christ was openly crucified, publicly displayed... For the purpose of shaming for this, yes. For the... to sh- In part, to show the penalty for transgression... How offensive it is to God, and also the the um, far-reaching nature of mm. God's plan to save man. Mm. So all of that is wrapped up there in uh, the crucifixion mm. of Christ. Jesus took uh, humanity's penalty. And if you want to read in the quarterly Tuesday, the last paragraph comments on something Ellen White wrote in Patriarchs and Prophets. You want she to read says, that? or as Ellen G. White said it. None but Christ could redeem fallen man from the curse of the law and bring him again into harmony with heaven. Christ would take upon himself the guilt and shame of sin, sin so offensive to a holy God that it must separate the father and his son. And so that offensive nature, that's the hanging on the tree, all of that Mm -hmm. imagery. Now, it's also interesting, and she brings it up in this statement, we see it in scripture, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, the reason, reason this is important is to some people when they read this passage... And they come down to verse 13, because it says, as many as under the works of the law are under curse, they come to verse 13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the law. Right. That's how they read it. Well, or they read it, it, as I mentioned, it's like, well, they use the words curse with the law, and they're like, yeah, that curse thing that is the law, like the curse, this, the law is the curse itself. But when you read the passage carefully, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, and then he explains, cursed is everyone who doesn't continue in all things which are written in the wordy way of saying, cursed is everyone who doesn't keep the law perfectly. Yeah, the disobedience brings the curse. In other words, the curse, curse, and we know that. The curse, the penalty of sin, comes upon the transgressor, the one who doesn't keep the law perfectly. Mm. And then he goes on to say, you know, the just shall live by faith, but 
The law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. If you want to live by the law, you've got to keep it perfectly. Nobody's ever keeping the law perfectly but Christ. And so then when he says Christ has redeemed us from the curse, there's something in that. Like, first of all, we know he's taken our penalty. Mm -hmm. But you've got it when you understand that the curse is against the lawbreaker. If we just continue incessantly being lawbreakers, Mm. We continue to be cursed. Mm. So there's got to be something built into that concept of redemption. And there's a statement in the SDA Bible commentary. Now, it's actually their notes on Romans 3.25, where Paul talks about Christ being set forth as a propitiation for our sins, that Mm -hmm. atoning sacrifice. And this is the point they make. By his sacrificial death, Jesus has been set forth as the means of atonement, expiation, propitiation, and reconciliation. So all of these... Multifaceted. It's a very comprehensive view of the cross. It's not like, oh, that did the one thing. That's exactly right. It's like there's a lot to this. In fact, they go on to say there is perhaps no one English word that can adequately portray all this that that this implies. We try redemption. We try propitiation. We try atonement. But none of them fully captures the picture. Maybe there's a trend in the church today. uh, Maybe it's been like this forever. I don't know. But to view the cross in a very reductionist kind of way. Like, at the brass yes. tax, it really did this one yes. thing. And it's like, no, you can't whittle it. There's a low, uh, there's an irreducible complexity to the cross. Like, you can only, you can't take That's away those right. edges. It, it's all of there's this. There's a reason it's going to be the science and the song of the redeemed through eternal Mercy. ages. Yeah. It, the depth of it. So, again, the statement yeah. goes on. Again, this is from the commentary. This is not Ellen White's comments, but the commentator's comments. Um it goes on to say, and even some of the terms mentioned above, atonement, expiation, propitiation, reconciliation, even some of the terms mentioned above have been given certain definitions by theologians quite out of harmony with the true nature of the atonement. Care must be exercised in the use of these terms, lest unwarranted shades of meaning become attached to them. Mm. Whichever word is used, the meaning is clear that the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ has met the penalty of sin and has made possible the pardon and reconciliation of all who have faith in Christ. And mm. so the point is that the Adventist understanding of the atonement is comprehensive and Amen. it deals with restoring humanity back to God's original mm-hmm. ideal for humanity. That's all wrapped up in Jesus taking the curse, becoming the curse for us in mm. this passage. That's the point that, that we're looking well, at. Well, I like so, how that... that, that, that whoever the author of that particular note was brings out like there's at least four phases of those but there's probably more but even the ones that we have written there have become loaded with other meanings and stuff so it's like suffice it to say it is rich beyond description this cross yeah now there's so much that uh, could be said about that and every one of these points as we talked about our second talking point Christ is the mediator between God and man is actually drawn from Wednesday's lesson And Wednesday is where it highlights that prophecy, Moses, that God made Mm -hmm. through Moses, that a prophet would be raised up like unto Moses, and then how it's referred to in the New Testament. So let's look at that in Deuteronomy 18, first of all, and and, uh, 18 verses 15 to 19. And this is how it's brought up originally by Moses. And then we'll make a look at some applications. You want me to read that? Yeah. Okay, 15 and 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him shall, uh, him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that what whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Okay, so what's interesting is, first of all, in the context, the people are looking for a mediator, an intercessor. And Moses says, because the Lord heard, you desired that, it, it, and it's interesting in this context that, you know, the people weren't in a place where they could speak with God face to face in their fallen condition. And this has always been the case with fallen humanity. So it's interesting that, you know, we talk about the role of an intercessor, and the Lord says, and there's so much in this, but in um, the New Testament, and this is not the application of Deuteronomy per se, but in 1 Timothy 2.5, the Apostle Paul says there is only one God and one mediator between God and man, and then he says the man, Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So specifically speaking to the role of Christ in humanity, like this, this is exactly what's being addressed here. New Testament authors take this passage in Deuteronomy mm-hmm. and apply it to specifically to Jesus Christ and his ministry. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about how whenever I've heard sermons preached, and perhaps mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it too, like the people had this great opportunity to hear the voice of God mm-hmm. and, and hand the, 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 down these great mm-hmm. instructions. And what was their response? Oh, we don't, mm-hmm. Moses, you, and we think like, oh, they're so weak in the faith, they should have. But God looks at that and said, yeah, they're, they were, they're on the right thing. They should be afraid. They should understand. And the, it, it, in, it deepened the need for that mediatorial role that mm-hmm. Moses was a type of and that Christ would be the true fulfillment of, that we need the mediator between God and man, and Christ is perfectly suited for that. That's right. So when we go to the, the lesson points out Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 24, Acts chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, and then I thought of Hebrews chapter 1, and I'll mention that in a minute, that as the New Testament authors apply this passage to Christ, it's interesting that you also see the role of the other prophets coming in here. In other words, God has always had mediators, and and that's why Hebrews 1 comes to my mind, because that's where Paul says, in times past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but now he's spoken spoken to us by his Son. And every mediator that God ever used, whether it be prophets, priests, whatever, ultimately was a type of Christ. Yes. But this prophecy tells us that that it was God's desire and that Jesus, again, the, the, the mediator being the man Christ Jesus, that Christ's purpose for taking humanity was to fulfill this role yes. of speaking of, to be the intercessor to be the that <laughs> could... I mean, you've got to think about it like God and man can't have that direct communication together. God could have just said, tough luck, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm going to speak to you from afar or whatever else. But in, or, in order to have the interpersonal contact, I mean, think about God not being a mean God, a cruel, vindictive, in all his mercy, but doing all of his, being all of his merciful self from afar. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. He chose to embody himself in humanity mm-hmm. so that he could be near, up close, personal. You know, makes me think of, is the, is the ladder, you know, that Jacob was showing. Yes. Where it, there's, there's this one ladder that reaches all the way to heaven and goes all the way to, and it's through that agency that angels have access, the mercy of God can come. Like if we That's didn't right. have Christ as that, that link between heaven and earth, we would be done. We would have no chance at all. So That's Christ right. is the only link. He's the mediator between God and man, as scripture says, the only one, the man, Jesus That's Christ. That's right. And I think it's interesting to note that him being the only mediator did not exclude the role of priests and prophets. Sure. Right? And so somebody say, well, it, I, in fact, I've had people say, in light of Seventh-day Adventists believing Ellen White is a modern prophet, 
for people to say, well, the oh. Hebrews 1 says God spoke to us in times past by the prophets, but now as if the coming of Jesus ruled out prophets. But we know yeah. that that's not true because even in the New well, Testament, and, uh, after his yeah, ascension, yeah. right? But the point is this, that despite prophets before or after, they were all types, types in the of sense Christ of mediator. And pointing to Christ. And pointing yeah. to Christ. And more specifically, the scripture tells us that it was the voice of Christ speaking through the prophets. It's huge. Yeah, so, if, you, if you really, really soak that in, like here you have the prophets that were all pointing to Christ. That's right. But who was the one inspiring the prophets to do that? That's it was right. the Spirit of Christ who was in the prophets. Testifying so before. It's almost like Christ yeah. is is running this whole plan of salvation, which he is. You know, <laughs> it's right. like so. It's not like they had their time and now it's Jesus' turn. He's That's been right. behind the scenes, in front of the scenes. He's in. He's part and parcel of everything we need for our salvation. It's and, incredible. And, and and so, in a huge sense, that the idea that Christ is the mediator. He's not a passive mediator. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> as you see, he he is masterminding, as it will, mm. all of these things. He and the Father working together for the salvation of humanity. Amen. And so, it's interesting that when Moses gives this prophecy, he says, "You know, God will raise up a prophet. Him you shall hear." Right. <laughs> and uh, and. And, and I don't know if, and I don't think that was passive aggressive. You know, I, I think it was probably, but it could it have been. Unlike you didn't hear me. <laughs> it could have been because Moses, they didn't listen. To but the point, that leads us into our third point, And that's where Thursday's lesson takes us to where the Apostle Paul in the book of Hebrews, well, I believe Paul authored Hebrews, and you may believe something different, but the author of Hebrews points out that uh, the passage where the Lord says in Deuteronomy, vengeance is mine. And recompense, or the way Paul puts mm. it, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And in the context of that passage, Paul says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And so Thursday's lesson brings that that up. And what I've drawn out of that as a talking point is that God does not have a backup plan mm. to save humanity. And we'll see that as we look at this. So why don't we um, go to Hebrews chapter 10 and look at verses 26 to 31. Why don't you read those for us? Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 26 to 31. Okay. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So there's... You don't hear a lot of sermons preached about that these days, do you? (laughs) Well, you know, the funny thing is, sometimes we, and you've probably heard this, maybe you've made application, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And so sometimes we'll take that and say, that's, you know, that's, don't, you're not going to repay, Lord will repay. It's not for you to repay your enemies, leave that in the Lord's hand, leave judgment there. But in the context of the passage, it seems that the apostles' emphasis is on the word will. Mm. Like, if vengeance is mine, I will repay. So what he's saying is, if we sin willfully after receiving knowledge of the truth, ultimately, judgment will come. Mm. And the judgment will be based on whatever decision you make. There are those who accept Christ and those who reject him. But if, if those who, you know, so he compares that, if those who rejected Moses' testimony died, 
without how mercy. Much worse, right. And he's drawing that like how much worse in the so the con the contrast he's drawing has to do with the amount of light. Well, that, which goes into sorry to cut mm-hmm. you out there, but no, like, if you look at the text uh, verse twenty nine there, it's yes. not just like they didn't know. Because this is all about those who did know right. after you have a knowledge. But once you have a knowledge of the truth, the enormity of the sacrifice of Christ and, and, and the, the leading of Scripture to all of this, and in the light of that, That's continue right. on willfully in sin, right? It's not just like, oh, you decided to go a different, like you didn't break amicably. It says here, it refers to those who did that as people who have trampled the Son of God underfoot. That's right. Counted the blood of the covenant by which you were sanctified. A common thing. And insulted. Trampling, insulting, yes. common. It's almost like, it's it's not like, oh, you agreed one way. I, we see, agree right. and disagree. We see it differently. So, no, no. This was the only way, and you spit right on it. Like, this mm-hmm. is, it's, it's. It is, it, it is offensive to God. Right. For humanity to reject salvation. It, it, it and, and, I mean. And, I don't know what in human this day language, and age we like Paul, to think of it like, oh, it hurts God's feelings. Well, it, sure it, it does. does. It does bring sorrow to her, no doubt about it. But there is a righteous indignation against those. Not just you rejected it, but at so great a cost. That's right. You know. Anyway, I, I had shared a statement um, last week. I believe it was last week. It might have been, but it came back to my mind. Just the last sentence in Testimonies, Volume One. It talks about people who the devil has just how he sidetracks us with so many things to get us our focus off of the important things of, of salvation. Mm-hmm. And Ellen White says, when it is too late, they see that they have gained nothing substantial. They have grasped at shadows and lost eternal life. Such will have no excuse. Again, mm. that's the idea. Um, judgment will come. Vengeance is mine. Mm. And it's interesting that he uses that expression, as you put, he's, he, it's, a, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Verse 27, there's nothing, if you reject the truth, but fearful expectation of judgment. Like there's nothing else coming. There's no other option. And that's why I titled this, part of the um, frustration is not a word to use with God, but what pains him the most is this is there's nothing else he can do mm. like there's no bat and that's my point there is no backup plan in fact in deuteronomy well, 32 well i was just gonna, this makes me think of second peter 3 where it talks about the lord is not slack concerning his promise not counting uh long suffering not willing that any should perish right that all should come to repentance but yes. the very, very next verse but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night that's like right. so it's the desire of his heart that everyone be saved but it's not infinite. It's not going to be drawn out forever. There is a time coming. And so here's exactly. here the, the same idea. It's like, if you've rejected this, what, what do you think is going to happen next? Right. It's not going to just go on and on and on. Yeah. There's a day of judgment coming. Anyway, right. I'm sorry. And so I think it's a, 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 at large, it's, it's primarily addressing the indifference to which so many people tend to treat spiritual things and the way we put them off and that kind of thing. And I think Paul is trying to give that sense of urgency uh, it's interesting when you look at the Deuteronomy passage, Deuteronomy 32, where Paul's quoting from in verse 35, vengeance is mine. Just a few verses before in verse 29, the Lord says, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. In other words, mm. that they would think about eternal things, not put off those things that are of significance mm. and be grasping at shadows like we looked at. So, mm. you know, the Lord does not have a black backup plan. Yeah. This is, and judgment must come. Either way, judgment for the righteous will be mm-hmm. eternal life, but judgment for the wicked will be eternal destruction. Yeah. So, in light of all that, 
Mm. I wanted to finish on a positive note, and Amen. I took a, a statement from uh, Ellen White's writings that if you have the Sabbath School app, it has, or Ellen White's or writings, wrote, yeah. the notes with this, it was on Thursday's notes from Faith, The Faith I Live by 103. You want to read that for us? Sure, it's beautiful. It says, if sinners can be led to give one earnest look at the cross, if they can obtain a full view of the crucified Savior, they will realize the depth of God's compassion and the sinfulness of sin. When at the foot of the cross, they, the sinner looks up to the one who died to save him. He may rejoice with fullness of joy, for his sins are pardoned. Kneeling in faith at the cross, he has reached the highest place to which man can attain. As you read the promises, remember they are the expression of unutterable love and pity. Yes, only believe that God is your helper. He wants to restore his moral image in man. As you draw near to him with confession and repentance, he will draw near to you with mercy and forgiveness. Mm, what a powerful oh, that's promise. Incredible. Oof. Yeah, we have to always keep in mind, like we're talking about this fearful expectation, but it, the Lord wants us to be saved right. more than he would want it himself. Right. And he's begging, oh, that they would just consider this. Think about it. And obviously that's what we want to do with our Sabbath classes this week is think about this. That's the ultimate this. theme in the, in the lesson. He redeemed, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He is the mediator between God and man <laughs> with a purpose for saving us. And so all that urgency, the backup plan, he's given the fullness of the plan. To and save. it reveals the heart of God who wants That's us exactly to be saved. Right. Oh, let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the rich storehouse of blessings that we see in your word and we've touched on in these lessons this week. Please bless every Sabbath school class, every teacher and every participant, every member as we consider these grand themes and not only talk about them academically, but personally, Lord, as we see Christ as our own Savior, Help us to value him more each day and serve him more faithfully until he comes. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.